fear usually means. You're in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. Keep on going. You got lots to learn. Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here to remind you of how powerful you are and how much you deserve by sharing spiritual tune-ups. These are live broadcasts Monday through Friday, each lasting 5 to 15 minutes where I answer viewers' questions, bringing lofty metaphysical concepts down to earth for your immediate traction. You were born to succeed. You are pushed on to greatness every single day. Your positive thoughts are at least 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Jumbo fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, time for a spiritual tune-up. Today's question has repeated itself over the past year by several people who I've never addressed the question before, so finally it's time. Thanks for all of you who have been patient on this question. Mike, how do you remove someone or something from your life? For example, circumstances you don't like, people you don't like, disease, etc. Rather than bringing stuff in, how do you take stuff out? And then, this was not part of the question, but it ought to be part of the thinking. If something yicky, icky's been in your life, how do you deal with it as far as the memory of it goes? And the best way is change your past. All right, hang in there. This is going to be easier than it may sound. Let me adjust my, my microphone and my camera. Okay, so is it possible to remove something from your life? Absolutely. But it's never going to come about by focusing on that thing you dislike. Remember The Secret, the DVD in the book by Rhonda Byrne? I had a contributing part to it. Thoughts Become Things, I said in the movie, which is the Thoughts Become Things I do at the outset of every one of these tune-ups, by the way. The three fingers held up like that. Well, the way your thoughts become things is you begin with an end result that's not in your life. In this case, you flip it. You begin with your desired outcome, and in this case, that outcome will not include the person you're thinking of. You can't begin a journey to remove something or someone with love in your heart from your life by thinking of it or them. You imagine the end result, your life, without them. You imagine that the separation, well, you imagine your life without them or without it, and then you kind of give yourself the authority in your wandering mind, your creative visualization to be like, man, it was so easy to get to this place. Man, everything just takes care of itself. Divine intelligence is everywhere. I love my life. My life is easy, which can imply that the transition was easy. Remember, there's so much wiggle room when it comes to living deliberately and creating consciously. Whether you want to attract something or remove something from your life, you don't have to get <clears throat> every bell and whistle exactly right. But the general approach to removing something from your life is to not be thinking about that thing. If you want to move into abundance, you don't think about your bills. 
Okay, if you want to move into a svelte physique, you don't think about the diets. You go to the end result. If you want to be traveling with a travel partner, you think of traveling with a travel partner, not the fact that you're alone or in an unpleasant relationship. And when you want to be free of something or someone, you imagine a joyful life where that person or situation is not there. Then, of course, show up, show up, show up, take action. Do what you can with what you've got from where you are to move in the direction of that new life. This does not necessarily mean you now need to move in the direction of kicking somebody out of your house. That's going to end up taking care of itself as you create this world in your mind that you start moving towards and preparing for. Preparing for. Maybe begin looking for a new lease in your apartment situation, your home situation. Maybe consider putting your house on the market. Maybe consider relocating. These things are ways of sidestepping the fact that you're trying to get a person out of your life or a thing out of your life. And then when it comes necessary to have a conversation with that person or that thing, you might say, you know, I've decided to list the house or I've decided to relocate or I'm going to go back to work or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. But you've already got your reach, your vision, your action steps out there creating another world. And then as it's being pressed to you, which is what happens when you have desires, dreams, AKA end results, there will be these serendipities, these epiphanies, these coincidences, and so-called accidents that help you align your life where you are today with the vision you've been holding in your heart and soul, the end result. Now to talk about how to change your past. Okay. Not quite uh, what the description implies. Uh, you're not going to change your past, but you're going to profoundly alter its residency in your mind. And what is the past anyway, but what you choose to remember? Now, you're not going to eliminate the memory of the yik and the ick, okay? I've got my own yik and ick that I would love to erase from the, this, the hall of records in my mind. But what I have found is that by moving forward with my life, as we were just talking about, with new end results, diversification in baby steps towards those end results, and by having a well-rounded life. I mean, you may want wealth and abundance, but you need to be working on health, physique, creative, fulfilling expression, uh, relationships, be working on everything, not just abundance. And and whatever it is you want, don't neglect the rest of your life, okay? By having a booming, rocking life in other areas that you're always perfecting, it's a work of art, it's much easier to not be obsessing and be overly focused on that which you don't like because so much else is happening. And what I have found is those areas of yik and ick in my life they began to recede. They began to take up less of my precious real estate here. They began to not even matter. They began to fall back into years and then decades. And then, oh, that old thought? I, I haven't thought of that in 12 years because my life's so full. So what you want to do is not be focusing on that thing you wish you could erase from your life. It's always going to be there. But you're going to learn to manage it. And the way you manage it is you don't overly focus on it. You just give it its due. You give it its respect. Sometimes it consumes your, 
your bandwidth, but you're also making efforts to move forward in many different areas of your life, to live your dreams, to follow your heart, to discover the truth that you're alive in this paradise being hurled through the cosmos, all while playing itself out in the heart of God. Then these ugly, icky memories, they, they get so far removed that you never think of them. They're never on your mind. When they show up, it's usually so that you can identify and help empathetically, compassionately other people who might be going through something that you, that you brushed away so long ago. They become utterly irrelevant. And in many cases, they become treasures for the gifts they bore because of the experience, because of the empathy, because of the compassion, because of the love, because you showed yourself that you were bigger than what happened to you, because you were able to prevail, because you were able to rise above the phoenix sword again. And that stuff that happened in the past ain't no thing, and which means that whatever is going on now that scares you one day will be relegated to the past as well. So just focus on the end result, take action, have a diverse life, take diverse baby steps for each end result, and you totally got this. We live our lives in the kindergarten of reality. Thoughts become things. Jumbo fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, time for a spiritual tune-up. Today, uh, there was a question asked that had a lot of likes. And it's a question I've addressed to many live audiences that, that's been raised by many live audiences. Mike, why are there so many more women in your audiences than men? Or Mike, why are women more interested <clears throat> in spirituality? Well, my uh, off-the-cuff attempt at humor would always be to tell the live audience that there's more women here because my thoughts become things. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <clears throat> but the truth is, absolutely, we see more women in spiritually inclined audiences the world over um, without exception. And it's a fair question. Why is that? And the questioner further went on to say, yet, why are so many spiritual teachers men? <clears throat> Pretty weird. <clears throat> it's not so weird when you just look at the basics of what's going on in our reality. As I have often said, these are truly primitive times. I am caveman, you are cave women. We are just now emerging from the caves. Forget that we have space station and nuclear power. Most people on earth still think God's an angry guy, an angry white guy at that. Or there's about 12% of the world that thinks life is random chance accident. Come on, you got to be kidding me. Look at the splendor everywhere. The symbiotic relationships everywhere. The magnificence everywhere. The fact that there's no skeletal remains evidencing amoeba to elephant or amoeba to any other creature besides why are there still amoebas. Yes, evolution exists. Yes, creationism exists. Primarily, we are here because of divine mind. There's intelligence everywhere. But I'm getting sidetracked. These are very primitive times. Um, we put everything in stark terms, good and bad, uh, and we think all kinds of Looney Tune ideas, and we oversimplify our definitions of identity in every way, shape, and form. Typically to this day, 
People think a man is a man and he should be a man. And a woman is a woman and she should be, you know, swabbing the deck. Uh, it's insane how simplistic and naive we are, evidenced by the Pope, who seems to be on a good clip making the Catholic Church a little bit more habitable and human, um, seems to be a good Pope. He's just come out and said homosexuality or being gay is a sin and a choice. Dude, it's love. And whether or not it's a choice is totally flipping irrelevant. Let people be what they want to be. The fact of the matter is, scientifically and intuitively, we realize that there are way more than two genders. Hey, and the fact that some of you might be annoyed that I said that shows how primitive these times are. There are more than two genders. Done. And there are way more than two types of sexual orientation. Done. But we're just now able to recognize that in some corners of society, whereas other pockets are stoning people to death for disagreeing or for not towing the line, thinking that, thinking in simplistic, primitive terms. And so the question about spirituality and the female or women's interest goes back to the over-identification of what is a man, um, a true man the Neanderthals would tell you, and no offense to Neanderthals, I don't think we even understand our ancestors at all, um, is, you know, a leader, uh, a decision maker, a king inside of every man. And, and, uh, and thereby, it is total shame to ask for directions when you're lost. It is total shame on you to not be able to toe the line and show a soft side where you ask questions and wonder about the nature of reality because what you see around you does not jive with what they've been telling you. Whereas for women in these primitive times, it's been perfectly acceptable for them to gather, to cooperate, to share, to be vulnerable, all of the sacred feminine qualities, it's not been shameful because they're women. Now, guys can't do that, but women can. So, so the poor guys trying to follow their heart and be good in societal terms have been pulled to pieces. And I, your heart must go out to some who are really... Um, it must be devastating to not fit a normal, primitive role in a world and a society today that demands it, otherwise thinks that you are not fully present, not justified. So, uh, I have pity on any man who has trouble asking for directions. It doesn't mean all men don't have trouble. Why are men often leaders of spiritual movements or teachers? Oh, there's a lot of awesome female teachers. There always have been. In every single home. Uh, my mom was one of them. But because it's okay for a guy to be a teacher based on these primitive norms. That doesn't mean that every male spiritual teacher is, you know, caveman trying to be a leader decision maker. Maybe they've lived enough lifetimes that they've softened up and they've found their divine feminine. And they're able to kind of live in both worlds. Um, so, so there you have it. That's why 
we are where we are. It's not a good place to be, but things are rapidly changing. I mean, it was only in the 1990s, I looked it up when LGBT came around, okay? That was a huge leap forward. And now it's, now it's like half an alphabet with a plus sign at the end of it because we're recognizing how naive and hurtful earlier perspectives were. And the last word on this, the last thought to share, is that no matter how many lives you've lived, no matter what your gender, no matter what your orientation, no matter, no matter, no matter, we all have within us a truth barometer. And we all have the ability to say, what's up with that? This is not playing out. This is not fair. This is not working. This is not who I really am. And I'm not going to play by those silly old rules anymore. We all have the ability to discern truth. And truth, in the way I mean it, is absolute. It is non-negotiable. We are all of God. There's only love. We're creators. Thoughts become things. It's all good. We're eternal creatures. That's about it. And if you find concepts that do not speak to our power or life's beauty, then, uh, then it's probably not an absolute truth as I'm using the word truth. We all have the ability to say, hey, if some segment of society is being discriminated against, does that add up to all God, all love? We are creators, eternal beings in this together. There's only one being. So nobody can just say, well, you know, I'm a caveman, so I can be stupid. I mean, you can, but it's going to bite you in the butt and it's not going to be nice. All right, you're going down. Jumbo fellow adventurers, thoughts become things. Today's question from you uh, is one I think that has relevance to every single human being. How to differentiate between instinct and ego. I've got two steps for you. Now I know this pertains to you. Okay, the questioner continues. When you have a decision to make, how can you know if your egoic mind, fear, is getting in the way of you making a leap or if it's your intuition, your guides, your angels, your higher self telling you it isn't right for you now? For example, you're moving towards that new relationship and suddenly you have this inner warning, warning, no, no, no. Is that your feared inadequacy showing up again, telling you you're not good enough, that this person's going to leave you and break your heart? Or is it intuition telling you that this is just not going to be a compatible relationship and there's somebody way better right around the corner. It could be a job that you're looking for. It could be a business that you're starting. Almost always there's fear involved. Okay, well, I've got some really great news for you. First, this boils down to the absolute art of life. You're not alone. Everyone has this crock to wrestle. Okay, everyone. So it's not like everyone's got it figured out except for you. Everyone is learning how to interpret their inner feelings. That's the name of the game. You can figure that out. Go straight to go and collect $2 million. It's easy peasy when you know it's your true gut instinct. But how do you know? As I said yesterday, 
we all have a built-in truth barometer. Okay, and that's going to help you a lot. But that truth barometer is brand new. It's rarely been used. You haven't even read the instruction manual. Not that you have to read a manual. But here are my two steps for helping you with the art of life, learning to follow your intuitions and realize when you should pay attention and when it's just fear talking its little head off. First of all, this may not fall under the caption of very spiritual, although it can be, it depends on how you use it. Get a little bit logical. <clears throat> Just look at what's going on. <clears throat> look at what you're dealing with. Does this seem like fear? Is it irrational? Or does it make some sense based on, on your entire composition and all of your life experiences? Here's a tiny example from my life. Suddenly at the age of about 28 years old, long ago, uh, after having flown around the world several times on every imaginable high quality, low quality airline, I am about seven miles above Kansas City, Missouri on Delta Airlines. And we hit turbulence and I was gripped with this horrific fear, like white knuckle, no blood in my face. Like, I, I, I don't know what happened to this day. I don't know what happened. And ever since that time, for many years, I was terrified to get on a plane. Now, is it my inner instincts telling me that that next one's going down? Or is it an irrational fear, perhaps from an earlier lifetime or something unknown in this lifetime? Given what I've just shared with you, that I was able to fly on all these other flights, that flying is the safest way to go. Statistically, get a little logical. Flying is the safest way to travel. I was able to see that this was a really crazy, totally irrational fear. Okay. Now compare that to the person who's utterly fearless and for no reason on the way to the airport or at the airport, they have this deep feeling of don't get on that plane. I mean, deep, deep, deep. That person might book the next flight. But the person who's wrangling with this clearly irrational fear, get on the dang plane and get over it, get past it. Getting a little bit logical, putting the whole thing into context makes sense. If you have been dogged by fear in relationships or in other enterprises and it starts showing up again, 99.9% chance it's irrational and you need to feel the fear and do it anyway. But if you've been fearless in a particular area or arena and suddenly without any explanation uh, for no telltale reason, you've got this brand new feeling, go slowly, make haste slowly, maybe delay it by one date, give yourself some time, do some research, Google the guy on the internet, um, make haste slowly. You don't have to say all or nothing as you do with a flight perhaps. But by getting a little logical, um, you can quickly discern the likelihood of true fear uh, sparked by uh, an inner gut instinct versus irrational fear. And generally, when all else fails, as a note from the universe once said, 
fear usually means you're in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. Keep on going. You got lots to learn. Okay. The second thing, and I shared this just a few weeks ago in the spiritual tune-up, the second step that will help you differentiate between intuition and ego is to practice. Okay, this is a brand new muscle, a brand new toy in the box. You haven't read the instructions. Practice with the little things. Don't tune out your inner, sen your inner senses until you have a life or death situation. Literally cultivate intuition and ask for every small purchase. Ask for every phone call before you make it. Ask about the clothes you decide to wear that day. Go within and have a non-stop communion with your higher self, your greater self, which is just yourself. Does this make sense? Does this feel good? Okay. Practice, cultivate it, develop it. When things get really prickly, get a little logical. Sometimes getting a little bit logical is the most spiritual thing you can do. Sometimes. Thoughts become things. Jumbo fellow adventurers. Great question uh, came in. I've touched on it before now that there's been over a year's worth of these spiritual tune-ups, but it's worth touching on again. Um, how to always triple underline win when two peeps want the same thing. Mike, how does that get decided? Who gets it? Like for instance, a contest with one prize, lottery, an Olympic gold medal. Ay, 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 ay. Well, despite the framing of that question into winners and losers, which I really hate that. Okay. This is not about competition, but I wanted to pull you in. Okay. This is about the core of what I teach for living deliberately, creating consciously so that everyone gets to that happy place. It is much easier than you think, but you have to extract yourself out of the primitive mindset that we now live on where people think they need to micromanage one manifestation after another, start small, go bigger, move on to global domination. Now you want to start with global domination. And the way you do that is to get happy first. Okay. So to get really specific with this answer, I do believe in ways incomprehensible for the most part by the human mind. It's quite possible that in a contest for a lottery or someone's heart or a gold medal, that there could be a split in the dimension, a parallel universe created, and both could win the gold medal or 20 people or 2000 people could win. We live in a holographic dream world where anything really happens and it's only our brain that interprets everything on a linear line. That's not the answer you were looking for. Um, it does perhaps give some hope to the runners up because in another parallel they won. Uh, but let's get to a place where without bending our mind, we can find joy today. And it boils down to wisely defining what it is you most want. Stop being the micromanager. Yes, for practical purposes, there's only one gold medal, right? And somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And that's just not the world 
that we want to live in. Yes, you can play and be competitive, but the real reward of life is joy. It is happiness. It is love. It is romance. It is health. It is good vibrations. And there's enough of that stuff for everyone. This is the cornerstone of how and why I teach in Playing the Matrix to have generally stated high priority areas for transformation. General dreams, wealth, laughter, friendship, health. That's what matters. And there's no shortage of joy. There's no shortage of health. There's no shortage of love and romance. There's no shortage of any of these things, not even wealth and abundance. Okay. There's enough for everyone to live deliberately on their terms and never have to worry about how much does that cost? There's enough. But let those be your driving end results, your desires, what you passionately move towards every day while giving yourself permission to be happy before they even show up because they're going to show up. There's no scarcity of joy. You can have that. Then, if you want to, on your way to the ball, play a lottery game. Uh, or run the 50-yard dash in the Olympics, or participate in some kind of competition or contest where there's only one winner and everybody else loses. If you want to play such games, see them as the games that they are. Realize that they are unimportant, no matter what you have thought heretofore, compared to your happiness. And then you can joyfully, gleefully, have camaraderie and joy and root for those you compete against as you root for yourself and dream that you will win. Hey, you might win that race, but don't hinge your happiness on it. Don't let that be a stepping stone in your micromanaged sachet towards happily ever after. Be happy today and strive forevermore to be even happier, even happier um, with your priorities in romance, recovery, health, financial, material abundance, nothing unspiritual about that. There is no shortage contrary to what your physical senses show you. So the answer to the question, how to always win, is go for the gold, but be happy anyway. Be happy without conditioning it on the gold and move in a parallel direction from not just the gold, but sports, creativity, joy, friends, laughter. It's easy. We live in the kindergarten of the universe. All right. You totally got this. You're already a black belt PhD. You know what I'm talking about. You've been an amazing manifesto your whole life. Stop conditioning your happiness on the little bells and whistles. They're trinkets. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, happy Friday. Mike Dooley here with a spiritual tune-up with a really wild kind of out-of-the-box question that has such implications for all of our lives. Mike, what about inherited behaviors, addictions, genes, DNA, diseases passed from one brood to another? Okay, we make our own realities. Thoughts become things. All of a sudden, we've got inheritance and genes and DNAs and behaviors we see from children that apparently came from their 
parents, what is going on? Does this limit who we are? Does this mean we're not as powerful as I've been saying, thoughts become things, you decide all. All right, we see patterns for sure in families. And knowing what I have shared before, let me remind you that as eternal gladiators of love and joy, God particles that we are, we choose each of our lifetimes. We choose the stage, not because there's destiny, but because of the probabilities each stage, including who's going to be on those stages, very likely, will yield for our growth, our adventure, our love and lessons. Each stage is meticulously planned by ourselves, including who our parents will be. And they plan their stages as well, and they have the same yay or nay say as to who's going to be born from the fruit of their loom. So we have these situations where we pick our parents based on what we most want to learn and how much we want to love and how much guidance we want or how much guidance we don't want. Excuse me. And these choices very often place ourselves with people who are learning the same stuff as we are who enjoy the same kind of adventures as we enjoy. Now, there's always exceptions. But generally, you hang out, birds of a feather hang out together in life and at birth. And so, while we do see patterns emulated by offspring that were earlier their parents' behaviors, this is a reflection of understandings and misunderstandings held in common far more than genes, DNA, and statistical uh, chances of certain things occurring. We are not victims of our genes, of our DNA, of our parents' bad behavior. Uh, think of something like alcoholism. Oftentimes, or suicide, or like so many things, any kind of compulsive behavior, or cancers, equally compulsive behavior. Um, these come from certain lessons not being addressed and certain inclinations to choose a shortcut or to choose anger or to choose other patterns um, besides what would have been the shortest, quickest way through it. Always truth always self-reflection. And so if I need to learn how not to behave, if I need to learn in an environment with people who think like me and thereby will understand me better, I'm going to choose parents who are at the same stage of their psychic conscious development, similarly, as myself. Contrary to popular thinking, if you're even thinking along these lines, you would not necessarily choose some enlightened being to be your parents. I think enlightened beings these days are pretty spare and fair and far between. Excuse the butchering of the language there. Pretty uncommon. Um, besides, you, know, you don't choose your friends, for example, based on how saintly they are or how holy they are. Most folks if they had that option, they would say, that's way too boring for me. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to live this rocking life. And it's the same thing with parents. 
You're not going to choose some, you know, saintly soul with infinite patience who, you know, and, and those saintly souls, they might not always want to have a hooligan for kids. We choose people to hang out with and to be born of, as a rule, always exceptions, who are at around the same spot in the learning evolution of consciousness as ourselves. And so they're making these mistakes. Hey, those are the mistakes I've been making. And maybe together we're going to learn how to stop making those mistakes. Um, there's nothing assured. But this is how and why. And then it's our genes and our DNA and our behavior and our diseases that are a reflection of our understandings and misunderstandings. And as Dr. Bruce Lipton and many other uh, advanced mainstream scientists have said, as many other uh, metaphysical teachers as there are teaching this, you can change, and we do, our DNA during the course of our life. And we can change everything else about ourselves. It is even said, I believe documented, that you can change the lines on the palm of your hand, they evolve as a reflection of where you are. So the long lifeline or the short lifeline may morph during a lifetime because just like the stars in the sky and the palm lines in your hand and your DNA, these are all mirrors of what your vibration is in your heart and mind. And so, yeah, you might have a lineage where everybody got a certain type of cancer. That does not mean you're vulnerable. That does not mean you chose a lifetime where you might get that cancer. That does not mean anything is set in stone. It means all those folks are learning about the same kind of thing. And every single one of them is at liberty to expand their thinking, expand their mind, to bring down more truths so that they can be off that wheel. You, none of us, are limited by our our lineage apart from you know color of your hair or lack thereof uh, um, or, or other s simple things um, so yes we, we choose it all we choose our DNA we choose our parents there's reasons beneath all of those choices and above all the greatest reason is love Well, there you have it, fellow adventurer. Thanks for listening to this most recent installment of Spiritual Tune-Ups. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few seconds to rate it on the podcast service you're using right now. It makes a big difference in helping more people find us. And of course, if you want daily reminders of life's magic and your power, please sign up at tut.com for my free Notes from the Universe emails. Tally ho!